This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. There he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Warthog Manly Command Center Man Cave here inside the Melton Law Studio. You know, Melton Law has 50 years of experience. It's the only official law firm partner of the Florida Gators, Melton Law won't back down. And of course, we are protected here in the Warhol Command Center 24-7, 365 by crime prevention. So you worry less with crime prevention security systems. Contact them today at cpss.net. And of course, our mugshots, which receive 45,000 views a month, are sponsored by Maurice T. McDaniel, our High Springs hometown attorney who is a generation Floridian, former deputy sheriff, 7th uh, Special Forces Green Beret Group. You talk about it all. He's the deal and also a farmer. So, of course, all of our other sponsors whom we really appreciate supporting the Ward Scott Files, patronize them. Style Cuts, that's where I get my beautiful flat top. Can you tell? Um, <laughs> and don't blame them if it's not for Harris, um, Mother Nature. So we're in the piney woods of North Central Florida here in God's country, which has been rather warm lately, but uh, we've been blessed with some rain. So once again, outside here where cattle are, have their heads to the ground, they're finding some things, which we are great at in Florida, and that's growing Bahia grass. Got Donna Dakona with us today. You haven't met her before. I haven't really met her before, but already I'm charmed by her. Uh, she's one of our board members on Dance Alive National Ballet. It's always great. I think Dance Alive National Ballet has the best board it's ever had, and I've been associated with it for a while. Everybody is very bright. Everybody is very much involved with the arts and uh, is supportive and works together well as a team. But Donna brings some talent to us that I haven't learned about, so I'm going to learn with you. And uh, uh, look, chat here with us. We're watching uh, your comments. Donna, welcome to the Ward Scott Files. Good morning. Thank you, Ward. It's a pleasure <laughs> to be here. Well, here you are. Now, uh, do you enjoy being here? <laughs> <laughs> so far, so good. Well, well, well. What brought you to Dance Alive National Ballet? Well, you know, I grew up in Gainesville Ward, and I studied dance at Poe Falls Studio, uh, probably prior to the formation of Dance Alive National Ballet. Um, it was their resident company at the time. They always performed and had a ballet company. But I not only took from Kim Tuttle and Judy Skinner, but I took from Mrs. Poe Fall ballet lessons for Mrs. Pofall. And um, so I've, I've always loved the company, loved the studio. In fact, you know, I lived away from Gainesville for many years, but whenever I would come back and visit my family, I would always stop by the studio. And it was very nostalgic. Of course, it still looks the same. So it added to the nostalgia. I mean, <laughs> I think it's the same carpeting in the, in the, in the waiting room. And the studios well, are still 
him. Yeah. They're not old enough to have been away from Gainesville very long. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, what did the dance uh, experience do that? I know it's gets in your blood. You know, the way I got involved was I was invited uh, to be in Dancing with the Stars. And I uh, had a little bit of a familiarity with dance because my mother was a dancer and um, always watched her uh, gaiety and loved to have fun. She played the piano and all the above. And as a matter of fact, when she was 100 years old, I took her to Dancing with the Stars and she danced to You Ain't Nothing But a Hound Dog. Oh, um, how wonderful. <laughs> and she lived to be 107 and a half. So <laughs> that's how I got hooked in Dancing with the Stars. So it doesn't leave you, does it? Once you have had the experience, tell us what you think you've taken with you into adulthood. Oh, so many things. I mean, I think dance in many ways is a metaphor for life, or at least the, the study of dance. I mean, you have to be um, very committed, very focused. You have to really be in the moment. And it just takes a, a lot of dedication. And I think you carry that with you, um, you know, whatever your calling is in life, uh, if it's not dance, doing anything else. I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm an attorney. And I know that my dance background has not only given me confidence, the confidence to stand up in front of, you know, juries and um, to, to be in the courtroom, but it also teaches you a lot about discipline and what you need to do to succeed and to, and to stay very focused and committed. Well, you know, one of the things I shamefully must admit to you is I am not flexible enough. And my dance partner, who was the uh, ballerina, uh, uh, Carla Mancio, was my partner at Dance Alive. And we did a dance and we got to be great friends. And of course, she always said, Ward, stretch just 10 minutes a day, just 10 minutes a day. <laughs> but it's far more than that for them. I think they are constantly uh, working on their flexibility, which ironically, people don't really perhaps understand gives you strength because you can use all those muscles. They, they're not all bound up. They're not all uh, tied in a knot, so to speak, and they actually function. I've watched the males, for example, um, lift the females effortlessly. Of course, there's an art to that. The females participate and help. But um, my golly, they will um, dance across the floor with a 110, 120 pound, maybe 120 is heavy. I don't know. Maybe you can go to 120, 100, certainly 105, 110 above their head. And with one arm so it's true i mean i think it's really underrated athleticism they are uh, first of all athletes you know and then artists and also artists but it, it just takes a lot of stamina a lot of strength you know muscle training yeah so, it's a wonderful form of exercise as you know what what dance did you do do you remember well yeah we did a we kind of did of a uh uh, rockabilly type thing and it's a funny story as we thought we were good enough to win and uh, there, was a, there was a young lady dancing with us then named Greta Batista who is from Cuba. I and remember Greta yes I remember her in the company yeah she's very Greta? she was little yeah but very pretty and very shapely and uh, she I, I'm going to say it on the air she when she came out with her partner who was Tony Mancusco who was our physician who takes care and he's also a dancer uh amateur as i was you know greta had i guess you could call it a dress but <laughs> it, it really looked just like 
see-through cellophane or something. And actually, <laughs> it was a sort of dress. <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. We both, Carl and I looked at each other and said, oh, golly, we can't compete with that dress. <laughs> She's going to win. <laughs> and later, you know, I, I, I interviewed Greta on the show. And I said, Greta, you know, I'm kind of upset with you because I don't feel like I lost to you. I lost to a dress. And she told her side of the story. She said at the last minute, she was afraid she was going to have to, you know, she didn't know she and Tony would beat me and, and Carla. So she said she went running down the dressing room hallways, hollering, does anybody have a dress? Does anybody have a dress? Oh. And some dancer threw that dress out. She grabbed it and put it on. And it was sheer see-through as far as I was oh. concerned. And <laughs> it looked great. And of course, the dress, I told her, on the air, I said, Greta, you didn't win. The dress won. <laughs> but anyway, that's yes. how I got involved with uh, Dance Alive and, and had a lot of fun and and uh, find these people high-spirited and and uh, uh, loved it. Loved. The other thing about dance is you have to convey what you're doing without using your words. And so the facial expressions are such an, an integral part of the whole process. And particularly with the women, they become so good. I'm thinking Carla, especially at expressing just with facial gestures, sorrow, concern, happiness, you know, just in the way they're able to look out as they're moving through their moves. You know, it's amazing. It's true. And, you know, you really saw that this last season with Phantom of the Opera, which uh, was a ballet. And it didn't have any words. You know, most of us are familiar with the Broadway play. And, of course, it's uh, mostly singing. And it tells the story through the songs. And, I mean, Kim was just able to capture the entire, you know, the feeling and, and the story through the movement of the dance. And it was just really incredible. Well, let's talk, let's talk about what you're bringing to uh, your, I know you're bringing a lot of talent and expertise to the uh, board and to what we're doing with, with the company. Anything you want to share with us that you're enthusiastic about or Kim's assigned you or how's all that working? Um, well, I, um, I offered to chair the Meet the Dancers event, which is happening on September 9th. And it's at the Cade Museum, which is, you know, very exciting. We've been doing it, I think, for the past four or five years now. Um, and the first event was when the Cade Museum first opened. Um, and it's, it's the first event of our season. And that's why we call it Meet the Dancers. And it's, it's I love the event because it's very casual and laid back, but yet still, you know, a very elegant evening. Um, and you're not sitting through a ballet, a performance, but you're seeing little snippets of what the dancers can do. So, you know, maybe five, three minute pieces, and it really showcases the dancers and highlights what they can do. And, um, in the meantime, there's an auction, which is really fun. And um, we have uh, Sweetwater Bay is catering. And so there's really delicious food and cocktails and everybody just kind of wanders around. And of course, the center itself is beautiful. So I'm really looking forward to this event. Well, that's great. And I'm glad to have you involved with that because it is an actual uh, uh, star 
type event for the community. And you know, the amazing thing about it is just to have a little slide here, we have managed uh, to steer the Dance Alive National Ballet company successfully through COVID. Uh, you know, a that lot is people, an amazing feat. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people, a lot of companies, restaurants, you know, the whole continuum of uh, people interact with the public. Um, we were able to install in the studio there a special air cleaning device that uh, is also used in some of the big gyms where I don't understand how it works, but uh, you are really breathing better air than you would breathe anywhere else. And uh, we were able to do that. Uh, we, we, and I say we, not so much me, uh, of course, I'm, I'm, as, as a board member, but uh, collectively as uh, people that we knew that we could contact that would be able to bring their expertise to it. And we, we've uh, hopefully steered through that and done well. So if things go uh, as they should, you know, we'll have our first sort of speak COVID free all we both know we'll never actually, as human beings, be rid of that any more than we are the flu. But um, a COVID-free event probably in the fall, which should really be special. Yes, I agree. I agree. And, you know, that it was amazing the way the company was able <clears throat> to survive in the school as well. And they were still able to continue classes. And, you know, and it was a, a really an effort from the community, as you say, the the whole filtration system. I think it was the same one they use on airplanes. Was it? Was it? Well, the, I know there's a system. I know I didn't know, uh, you know, exactly the name of it or anything, but I know that uh, one of the gyms here has it, and they they feel it's very successful. So we're talking with Donna Decona, who is uh, is this your first? I don't. Is this your new venture onto the board? I, I was on the board for a short time when I first came back, moved back to California um, in twenty. Uh, 18, 2018. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, I, well, I live in Tampa, but um, hope I go back to Gainesville quite often. Well, you know, through the miraculous uh, device and where were we, why didn't we invest in it? Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. Why didn't we invest in it? <laughs> where was it before? I mean, it must have been around, <laughs> but it's actually changed the world. Uh, uh, we're, and I enjoy it. It's very much uh, able to put together from you're in Tampa. I'm in the command center, an undisclosed location. And of course, production <laughs> is in another location. And it's all Are you really in an undisclosed location? <laughs> well, yeah, well, yes and no. You know, <laughs> you can find me if you really look. Uh, <laughs> but um uh, you know, you, you know the history of the warthog. Uh, I told you off the air before we came on yes. and how that yes. all works. And uh, it's been funny. It's stuck all these years and and uh, it's been a lot of fun. And then production has found, of course, the scene there where there's a warthog that comes up. And I don't know if you hear the end of it, but there's a, a woman's voice that says, well, look how nice he is. Maybe we pet him. And then, of course, they try and he charges them and they have to climb up. <laughs> To the upper I missed that part. I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, they have to climb up to the upper rafters. Of the uh, I think it's probably <laughs> wherever they are to get away from the warthog. <laughs> and I don't know who you found have, it. Maybe production found it, but it's absolutely people love it. Yeah, <laughs> it's a great one. It's amazing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, you told me where you got that name. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it's sort of stuck. So um, you know, and it's uh 
it's been a lot of fun. Uh, and that's what I'm really uh, back to our theme about dancing a lot of national ballet, how much fun it is to be around uh, these energetic, talented people. And for the longest time, Donna, and I know this is where you're going to help a lot. because I think we've turned a corner on this. We've got some other people on the board that I, we were introduced to last night, I think are actually going to be very helpful in terms of branding and marketing. But yeah. when I first came on the board, I feel like Dance Alive National Ballet was the best kept secret in the community. You know, we're, we're operating. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I we're agree. operating in the shadow of the university, and nobody really mm-hmm. knew that Dance Alive National Ballet, to any extent, unless you had children, of course, and you them, send them to the Po Falls. But the general public that enjoys culture, and you would think this area would, really didn't know much about it. And um, so, what we have to do, I think, collectively, and um, I, I know you you bought into this too each of us has to do our part to make the community help them understand it's here and how to appreciate it. That's why I donate this time really to on the podcast show to the arts, particularly this show at once a month on a Thursday like this to make sure everybody knows that we've got uh, this dance alive national ballet. Um, not so much since COVID, but it not only travels nationally, it's traveled internationally. And you probably know more about that than I do. You want to talk about your knowledge about that a little bit? Cause you, we're part of it. Well, I, you know, I agree with you, Ward. It's a really well-kept secret and we, we need to spread the word because Gainesville is so fortunate to have such a, a ballet company of this caliber, a dance company of this caliber. Um, and they're, they're on par with some of the largest ballet companies. They're just so good. You know, it's just such a pleasure to watch them. And yeah, they not only have traveled nationally, but um, I know there were some plans for them to go to China. Um, and uh, oh, they did perform in Cuba. I believe it was a pre COVID. This is all pre COVID. Oh, yeah, a couple of three yeah. years ago. Yeah. We do also have dancers, of course, from all over the world. We have them from Turkey. We have them from Russia. It's kind of interesting in that we have them from Russia and Ukraine. And yes. uh, we have a new dancer. I think we can share this with the public who's from the Ukraine, who's been signed on to dance with us this year. And you can understand, please, uh, our listeners and audience, that right now this is not an easy process for this dancer to get here, uh, for this dancer to get here Uh, unworried about things. So we do deal with these people. We do have homegrown dancers now. Don't get me wrong. We've got Rachel, who is homegrown, came through the Pofall Studios. But by and large, these are international people. And what I've always appreciated about, and this is going to be difficult when Kim and Judy um, retire, we've got to replace that tremendous talent. It's going to be one of our challenges. Um, You know, they're able to quickly make decisions without going to a committee about whether or not the dancer can, you know, is good enough for them. You know, uh, most of the dancers complain, oh, golly, I would go to here and go there, but I have to wait for a committee to decide and all this and that. And I can come right here and Kim Tuttle can look at me and say, yes, you're, you're some, you know, sometimes she does this basically on posture, some things like that. That's how finely tuned she is. Did you know that? Yes. Well, she's been looking at dancers for a long time. So she knows. Yes. I like I liken her to Nick Boloteri. I don't know if you know who Nick Boloteri is. The IMG Academy. Uh, he's the great tennis. He's in his 80s now. He's the one who has trained everybody from uh, Agassi to Sharapova, 
to all. What happens is people from all over the world, when they have a, a, a prodigy child, Sharapova came from Russia when she was six or seven uh, by her father, who was a physician, because he saw the father saw, you know, there's nothing that can help her here in Russia anymore. And Nick Volatieri has been quoted as saying, and every year he's at the U.S. Open, and so I see him, and we, I talked to him a little bit because I was a tennis umpire. But um, he picked Marie Sharapova on the basis of how she walked. Hmm. And, you know, what is, that, what is it you see in her walk, Nick? She's not going to let you beat her. Oh, he saw all that just from all, all that in a yes. young lady, six, seven years old. He watched her walk and he says, that lady can come to the academy because we got something in there's something in her that is worth developing. And he said it was the way she walked. And I've heard Kim say the same thing about dancers, um, their their balance or their something she sees that. She says, that's okay. You can dance for me, you know, pretty quickly. And, um, you know, you get that way from seeing thousands of dancers, if you will. I mean, after a while, you do. I mean, you learn, do you not? Uh, it's like everything else, you know. You, you learn yeah. patterns. You learn, I, I suppose, initially, it's an inductive reasoning process. You, you, you see individual examples, and after a while, you see they have something in common. And so you learn to use that as kind of a criterion to uh, you. So um, interesting here that um, uh, she has that ability. We got to find that again. We got to find that again, Donna. <laughs> yes. Oh, it's going to be very hard to replace Kim and Judy. That's very sure. hard to replace them. And that's going to be our next challenge. Yes. And um, that's why we work so hard on fundraising. We work so hard on finding sponsors and uh, people who want to support culture and art in the community. And this is more, I think, probably the best effort one can get involved with. Um, you know, I, I'm not a, also I go to the theater and all that business, but you know, this is a, our own stable, if you will, of great uh, performers. Uh, they just don't do one play and move back to New York, you know, uh, which is the way. Right, they're here. They're, they're here. here. They, right. have, they, they take Live movies. here. Yes. Some of them retire and actually go to work here as with Jesse. Dominguez, who's just retired with her husband, and they've gone into the private uh, business world, which is wonderful. Because I'll tell you a story of Jesse Dominguez that I've, always, I've never forgotten. When she first arrived here, she was being brought from the airport by our, our, our marketing lady then, who uh, Linda, who picked her up and was bringing her into town. And they stopped for the traffic light when it changed. And Linda told me that all of a sudden, Jesse wrote it out, my golly, your traffic lights work. <laughs> wow, yes. See, things like that we take for granted about American society. It's, uh, tr it's true. The traffic we lights We are so work. blessed. Yeah. And that just that little thing, my golly, the right. traffic lights work, you know? And yeah. the other thing I remember is talking with some of these people. They want to be citizens, okay? But I remember one of them told me, I'll keep it anonymous, who said, I could go to Miami and pay $300 and be a citizen, but I'd have to look over my shoulder all my life. I want to go through the proper way. And we've had several dancers go through. It's a pretty arduous process. You know, everybody who was born had to go through it. 
Uh, and then you learn something because you have to learn about the country. You have to learn about the Constitution, the values. And so we've got dancers who come here who say, I'm not leaving. I'm not going back. I want to stay here. And so I think that's another thing we can talk about with the community. Yes. Yeah. Donna, what, what, is, the, what is your uh, next step on this? Uh, uh, you've done, you're going to roll up your sleeves and get, take charge of the meet, meet and greet the dancers. So you know what we're talking about there. Any other projects you see that you've been around the dance world that uh, we're doing right or we can improve on or uh, you want to help us, uh, anything like that? Uh, you got to, we got about five minutes. Okay. Any pod, I think your podcast is wonderful and you're doing so much to further our efforts. And I want to thank you so much for being so involved in the community. Um, I think anybody who's watching, this is, it's a wonderful event. It's September 9th, so mark it on your calendars. We'll be sending out invitations. You can also go to Dance Alive National Ballet's Facebook page to find out more about it, our website. Um, you can buy tickets on the website or just um, call or email us, um, and we'd be happy to sell you tickets. There's limited seating, of course. It's the Cade Center. It's $75, and I just encourage everybody to get involved and come see us and come see our beautiful dancers and meet our beautiful dancers and see a little, get a little taste of what they do. You know, you keep mentioning the Cade Center. I got a minute here to tell you a funny story, if you don't mind. Oh, no, I love, your, I love your stories. <laughs> I knew Dr. Cade pretty well. And um, yes. I first met him through a friend of mine who was a, um, uh, a resident with Dr. Cade. And he said, you got to meet my professor. He says, he's the strangest guy. He says he's always trying to invent stuff. <laughs> and so that's how I got to know Dr. Kate. And lo and behold, I was also a football coach at the time at the local high school. And football coaches, we were always looking for that extra winning edge, you know. Um, whatever it was, we try it. Like I remember we stopped having pregame meals of steak at one time and went to pancakes because somebody told us that steak loaded the kids down. They couldn't run the pancakes. They could burn the energy. So we even did that. But one day, Dr. K came along and said, you know, you ought to really try this here. You know, do you mind if we try it on your team? <laughs> he was so funny. And so he brought out a big vat, okay? And he poured what it color was it back then? That. It was clear. It and was clear. Oh. It was clear, yes. He brought his big vat, and we dumped this stuff in there, and had a big ladle, and we stirred it all up. And it tasted exactly like your drinking the periodic chart. I mean. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that tastes like. But well, it it's metallic. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's ah, you know. Yeah. And, and so uh, one of the famous quote out of it is coming from my good buddy uh, who was on the University of Florida team where Dr. Kate also took the, the drink. And when he drank, Larry Gagner, who was an All-American uh, UF player, when he tried it, he poured it over his head and he said, Dr. Cade, this stuff tastes like piss. And Dr. Cade said, well, it should, Larry. It's wee-wee. <laughs> so we, were, we told Dr. Cade, you can't drink this stuff. So he took it home and his wife put lemonade in it. And that's how it got to be the original flavor. Flavor Green and flavor the color because it was kind he of said, it looked kind of like lemonade. Yeah, here, yeah. Bob, let's try this. You know, <laughs> know what they were doing. You know, let's, let's try this and see if this works. And that became the original 
Stokely's Carmichael, <laughs> Dr. K Gatorade. And yeah. uh, so we were, we were the first, and, and, and Phoebe K did not know this, but I, I told her when I saw her last, I said, Phoebe, you understand, we were the first high school team, and everybody knows about the University of Florida, because what they did is they took it to the trainers. They didn't take it to the coaches, they took it to the trainers. Um, and the trainers, would, the coaches didn't know about it, you know? Hmm. And so uh, I told Phoebe, I said, you know, realize now we're the first high school team to ever use it. And it made a difference. We, we started, Good. oh, you better believe it. We started winning the fourth quarter. Right. We had more energy in the fourth quarter. It makes a difference. There's something to it. it really is. And now it's proliferated. It's everywhere. You know? Oh, it's everywhere. Yeah. It's everywhere. Uh, Donna, it's been a great, I hope I didn't take up too much of your time. Um, I've enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Ward. <laughs> I want you to have a great day. I've been talking with Donna Decona, who's on our board now. She's come back, actually, has worn many hats with Dance National Ballet from being a student and a dancer and now <laughs> out in the business world and is coming back to help us uh, um, make the best decisions we can about how to present a great group of people to this community for your entertainment uh, at a very high level of excellence. Thank you so much, Donna. We're going to take a break now. Uh, we'll be right back on the Wards God Files, talk about a little local news here uh, as soon as we break for our sponsors. Stay tuned. This is Wards God, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Wards God Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Maurice T. McDaniel, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. A warthog. He's gonna come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me. Help. Help. Welcome back to War Scott Files here in the Warthog Command Center in the Melvin Law Studio. Melvin Law, 50 years of experience, is the only official law firm partner of the Florida Gators. Nolan Law won't back down. Well, here we are in the news again. It's um, generally the article I'm going to talk about is the one that, in case you haven't seen yet, you will see if you take the Gainesville Sunset. If you don't take the Gainesville Sunset, you can probably eventually see it online. 
and the headline is Interruption Postpones Cornell Deposition. And I think I uh, uh, spoke to you a little bit about this in, in real time when it originally happened and, and, and warned you that there would be some follow-up on this and I would wait and hold my peace until things sort of went out publicly. And I'm still kind of going to talk too much until the judge rules on uh, whether or not uh, uh, Cornell's attorneys were right or uh, Droto's attorneys were right in terms of whether or not a Zoom meeting is a public meeting. Uh, of course, it was the position of the uh, Drotos attorneys that it didn't matter to them. And the Zoom link was a public link. And um, the administrator of the Zoom meeting allowed me in without any questions. So as far as I'm concerned, um, I'm just spectating. I'm just watching. But uh, what has happened is I've been named a disruptor and uh, by Cornell. Now, I have to tell you that I'm going I'm to opine here for a moment. Uh, somebody who didn't have much to sort of uh, not talk about would not object. I mean, I didn't say it that way. Drotos' attorneys did. Drotos' attorneys accused uh, Cornell's attorneys of what are you trying to hide? You know, why? This is all in the public, is it not? And Cornell is a county commissioner in the public. Well, then they say in this um, um, article that John Henderson, whom I've never met and never talked to me about it, talked to Tim Martin, didn't talk to me. And if he had tried to talk to me, I wouldn't have talked to him because I had nothing to talk about. Throughout the entire situation, they call me a disruptor. I never said a word. Never said a word. I didn't, I didn't talk back and forth with him. Martin did. I didn't. I just sat there. I was in the room. Why would you reach out into the audience and talk to the spectator and get in his face and ask him what he was doing there? Because he's sitting there. That's what they did to me. And I knew darn good well, I wasn't going to answer that. I mean, I'm not on trial. Not, you know, I'm just an observer, you know, and you allowed me in here. So don't start getting into my face asking me why I'm here because I'm not going to answer you. Besides, by then I smelled something fishy. Why would you be concerned? So then they began to really, and there's some words in here which really, uh, I kind of, this is probably I'm going to have to pursue um, at some point. Uh, let me just find them for you. Because I, 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 they, these words could only have come from Cornell because the attorney did not know me. And it's on the record. You'll see it. Uh, Donnelly wants to know who I am. He doesn't know me. And so he disappears. I'm going to get the video of this. I'm going to play this video for you when I get it. Uh, but um, when, uh, uh, when uh, uh, Donnelly starts talking about find it here where they say it um, about me, I should have had time to. Uh, right to this without picking up your time. Um, but um, let's see here where it is. Here it is. A copy of the transcript file shows that Donnelly paused the line of questioning to inquire why Scott had joined, stating that his presence, are you ready for this? Just my presence. I never said a word. Uh, I never answered him. I never talked to an attorney until finally they asked me if, if I would leave. They didn't tell me to. And I said, because they were confused. They themselves didn't know the law, whether 
observers were allowed to be there. They didn't know the law. They were going to try to get the judge on the phone. The judge couldn't get on the phone because the judge was in court. So I said, these attorneys don't tell me what to do. The judge tells me what to do. And so I said, I'll abide whatever the judge says. If they'd gotten the judge on the phone and the judge had said, throw Scott out, I didn't, I didn't cut off the Zoom. But they didn't. So I'm not going to take anything from either one of those attorneys. They don't have any control over me. They're not my attorneys. They don't run the courtroom. The judge runs the courtroom. But this is not even a courtroom. This is a civil proceeding. Furthermore, it's not even a criminal proceeding. But here he says, and this is pretty accurate, and I'm, I'm thinking about posting the entire transcript on for yourself to see. But uh, they say here, uh, um, I just had it. A copy of the transcript file shows that Donnelly paused the question to inquire why Scott had joined, um, stating that his presence, as my presence, was, quote, are you ready for this? Distracting, harassing. Just the presence of the warthog, okay? Just the presence of the warthog. Scared the bejesus out of my guess. It was distracting. It was harassing. It was disruptive. I said, Martin is the one who talked forth with him. I didn't say anything. And yet he doesn't get called distracting, harassing, and and disruptive. Now, who also, not in this article, is, and the record will show it, Donnelly, the attorney who didn't know me, disappeared with Cornell. When he came back, obviously Cornell had to have said this to him. I would think, hey, Scott has said bad things about my client. Bad things. All I've called him is a thin-skinned water boy, which obviously this shows he is. A thin-skinned water boy. Now, can you take a joke? I mean, I never said untrue, you know, things about him. We had fun. His nickname. Everybody has a nickname. I have a nickname. Huh? Come on. Lee Pinkerson was Weathervane Lee. Chuck Chestnut's The Undertaker. Barley was a headmaster of the boys' orphanage. Come on. What are you talking about? The Cuban communist for the city commissioner. Banana pudding for Harvey Ward. Somebody else calls him a thug. The poodle. Hey, you're in the public life. You're a pub... Cornell is a public making over 85 grand a year and he doesn't want anybody to nickname him. He asked to be the commissioner. He asked to be paid. And now he doesn't want it on anything but his terms. He said more bad things about me. He tried to kick me off the chair of the Rural Concerns Advisory Committee. And you know what? Barley said, I don't care what the guy said about me. I still vote for him. He runs a darn good committee. That's Barley, the headmaster of the boys' orphanage. 
And I, you know, the other thing you don't want to do is you don't want to let anybody know whenever you've been, uh, th they've gotten to you because then they'll just get to you more. I mean, that's the way it works, isn't it? If you find somebody's vulnerable, you just keep after it till they, they change or they leave. But this here says that I was, you know, this is not everything he said. In this article is not everything he said about me. Donnelly. He could only have said it because he didn't know me if Cornell had told him to say it. I think. Okay. So I just want you to know that. As I said, originally, when I discussed this situation, there is a lot more here than MCI or there wouldn't be. So this is about to, this is at least the second time they've tried to depose. And actually, Cornell should be up praising me because this whole ruse succeeded in yet again from being deposed. The last thing he wants is to be deposed under oath, I think. And I think he therefore should give me some sort of applause for once again, because of my disruption, simply by my presence, preventing him from being yet one more time from being deposed, answering questions under oath. In one week from the day, this is going to come to a head. There's going to be a hearing on this. Guess who will be back? Yours truly be back. I'll be back. I'll be back. So the disruptor, golly, I've got so many names. I love them. Interruption postpones. Interruption postpones. I don't know who John Henderson is. Most of what he got here is right, but he didn't get it all right because he never talked to me. And if he called me, I wouldn't have talked to him. Nothing to say to him. He can go read, he can go read the record. It's all a public record. I think we probably will. Put it up on Ward's bulletin board. I'll I'll um, I'll send it over to production here in a little bit and let them post. It's sixty six pages long, okay. But you can click on it and you read a single line of it yourself. The other thing is so interesting is of course the interaction we've had with Brian Kramer. I mean, I mean, the thing is, the thing is strange about this situation is he has partnered. This is his word. He has partnered with the facilitator of the issue, Kim Barton, through T.J. Pichet, got these guys in a situation in the jail where they perjured themselves. They passed the buck by saying it wasn't T.J. Pichet's responsibility to ask him. So the onus is on the individual. Clearly, you go back and look at this. Why would you go to the jail nine days after you've been told the judge has ruled 
felons can't vote until they paid restitution. And why would you go and trap them? If I were their lawyer, I'd say, hey, you entrapped these guys. You entrapped my, you, you set up a, you set a perjury trap. It's called a perjury trap. You set a perjury trap for these guys. Brad King, Miss Blair in Marion County. And we covered that story extensively on the Ward Scott Files when I was on the radio. It's called a perjury trap. Because see, what you do with perjury is you get a contradictory testimony. You get the guy to say yes in one question, and he says no to the same question in another place, and then you have a contradiction, and then you have perjury. And the only way out of it is you can't remember. So if you ask a question, taking the fifth is too obvious what TJ did. Taking a fifth suggests you're guilty. You just don't remember. So if they come to TJ, what he should have said, I don't remember what I said. You go find out. Nobody can mess with your memory. And we haven't even begun to talk about the sex offenders who can never pay restitution. And here's a curious thing about this whole deal. Why is it that one data investigator with a few clicks can find these people when the supervisor of elections, Kim Barton, with a whole IT staff, and she's not the only supervisors like this in the state, and it's both Republican and Democrat, they don't do any investigation of the voter rolls. They don't do any. If our data guy could do it with one click, why in the heck don't they do it? I don't know. So now in Duval County, and this thing's starting to really grow. This just came out uh, from the Florida Times Union. Duval County investigation underway into whether 22 sex offenders illegally voted in the 2020 election. And this is now expanding a prior probe. Uh, and this is being conducted by Supervisor of Elections, Mike Hogan. And why is he doing it? You know why he's doing it? It's right here in the article. He's examining cases filed by Gainesville database researcher Mark Glazer, who, as you know, is our data investigator, with whom I've worked since 2012, 10 years. Mark Glazer has lodged 100 complaints in 11 counties, including Duval contending felony sex offenders violated state law by casting ballots in 2020. Well, why do we have to catch it? Why can't the supervisor of elections that make all this Zuckerbucks, why can't they catch it? Why can't they catch it? Hogan said if the current investigation of additional cases submitted this month by Glazier shows voter beep, he will turn the findings over to the state attorney's office. Well, Kim Barton didn't find them in this county. Are you understanding the difference? Kim Barton didn't find them and turn them over to the state attorney's office. The Ward Scott files found them and turned them over to the state attorney's office. They were sitting right there under Barton. In fact, Barton is responsible for them existing in the first place on the, on the felons. But she's already been exonerated by the state attorney who's now partnered with her. Weird. 
weird. The amendment excluded restoration of rights to those with felony convictions for murder or a sexual offense. Anyone with a felony record for murder or sexual offense must go through the state's clemency process to regain the right to vote. You must be forgiven by the state. And we've already covered this with you on a statewide basis so far. The data investigator has found evidence about 2,000 sexual offenders, as I said yesterday, registered to vote in the 2020 election cycle, and about 500 sexual offenders cast ballots. This has nothing to do with restoration of rights. What do you take away from this as a citizen? The supervisors of elections are lazy, are incompetent, or both. Well, how else can you explain it? I mean, oh, if you go to them as well, not my role. So now Kramer is going to take up the responsibility of, of the supervisor of election. Not only take it up, but partner. In other words, cover for, I think. That's my opinion. That's my opinion. Make up for the ineptness of or whatever. Now, what's going to be interesting, this is only applicable, the V8 program in Alachua County. I don't, I don't know what the other state attorneys and the other supervisors are going to do around the state, but we're going to keep an eye on that. This is a huge story, you understand. A huge story. And we've had to push, push, push to get it out. Because nobody wants to talk about it. Everybody wants to swallow the conventional narrative perpetrated by the wokes on the left that denies you the opportunity to challenge any of the conventional truth about voter beep. And as Mark says in his article in the Florida Times Union, that's a big, it's a big paper. At the county level, election supervisors, quote, never took a proactive look at their voter laurels. This is the problem. They do not take a active look at the voter rolls to verify them. They say it's not our problem. It's the voters' problem. Guess what? The votes still count. Those 500 sex offenders voted, their votes count. The guy they voted for is in office. Or not in office. You don't take that back. You tell me. The question is, does the state have a responsibility to be able to tell people whether they're eligible or not? Who should have that responsibility? 
the supervisor of elections and the clerk of the court. Why does Kramer step in? Because he's the one who may have to prosecute. How can he play both roles of public guess? Hogan says that under the state law, his role when he receives voter registration applications is to information at face value into the voter record system and forward it to the Secretary of State's office for the state to determine whether the applicant is truthful and qualified to vote. Are you... Hey, the only system I know that the state's got right now is the background check for concealed weapon or to purchase a firearm. The state has a database. And for before you can walk out of the place where you purchased the firearm, you have to have a clearance from the state data system. If you can do that for the purchase of a firearm, can you not do that for voting? Are you kidding me? When a person registers to vote, it should go into, the person shouldn't have to go ask the state attorney, hey, by the way, Mr. Attorney, would you check no, because he might check and end up prosecuting me. How about if you just send it to a state database? Or even a county database? Why didn't Zuckerbucks go toward that? Why did, and by the way, Plantation Mark, there's no difference between an absentee ballot and a mail-in ballot in the state of Florida. So why did the Zuckerbergs go? Why didn't it go toward the creation of a verification system for qualified voters? He wasn't interested in that. He was interested in the proliferation of absentee ballots. Go get them wherever you can get them, even if it means go to the jail. And then they never expected to get caught. I guarantee you, they never thought anybody would ever check. Well... And the guy up in Duval says he doesn't know what happened in the case of Crump. This guy got caught. We caught him. Uh, he was able to get registered and he voted in the August 2020 primary and November 2020 general election. Now this guy faces two counts of voter fraud for voting in those, voting in those elections, plus a felony charge of false swearing stemming from his voter application form. There's a lot, 
listen, there is a lot of room for stuff to fall through the cracks. And the problem is, if you dare to question it, you will be labeled the minister of disinformation. Facebook will shut you down. Shut us down. YouTube will shut you down. Shut us down. Because we dare. So now I've invented my own beat. This guy, Crump, checked the box that he said was it. He said he was not a convicted felon. He has felony convictions in 1993 for manslaughter in Alachua County. In 2004, for the molestation of a child 12 to 16 years old in Alachua County. And in 2019, for failing to comply with sexual offender requirements in Duval County. There you go. Now, the other person who's been caught finally and admitted guilt because she's trying to hang on to that pension is Corrine Brown. At long last, all the foot dragging, all the evasive tactics, all the BS, all the smoke screens, all the race cars, all the left-wing media. And she's guilty. And she finally admitted she's guilty. Took some pretty heavy stuff. I don't have time to go into it. We knew it. But you couldn't talk about it, could you? But we will. Amazing, amazing. And we ain't, got, we ain't begun to cover it all. I mean, Black Lives Matter, all that money going off for private homes and the family and uh, all that kind of business. Really. Well, Plantation Mark, you're in a different state. He's talking about absentee ballots there. You're, we're, we're talking about Florida. I don't know about the kind of the state he's in, but I can tell you right now we know about Florida. And that's why Zuckerberg picked out Alachua County. I am certain of it. That's why he picked out Kim Barton. They know. They know this is a fanatic blue county. They know that she's a Democrat. interesting story. We're in the news all over the place. And that's because we're trying to find the truth for you and to pass it along to you for you to confirm or deny that we've got our story right. Everything here is subject to your scrutiny. Have a great day. Warthog Command Center out.